Thank you for joining me on episode 86 of Unique on a Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And we are here on earth for two reasons. That is to know God and to make him known. And God uses how he uniquely created us to do this. But sometimes understanding our uniqueness is blocked by our misconceptions of God, depending on our past hurts, traumas, and environment. This can taint our view of God wife, mom, and author Robin Melvin of the blog, The Robin's Nest, shares her story of God breaking down the lies of him being an authoritarian to then understanding the love that God has for his people. She also digs into her book, Uncover Your Divine Design. Who did God create you to be? Welcome back to the Unique on a Purpose podcast, where we travel to Illinois to visit Robin Melvin. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rachel. I'm excited to be here with you. Robin, you are a wife, a mom, you're a grandmother, you are a blogger at The Robin's Nest, you're also a freelance writer and an author of the book Uncover Your Divine Design, which we're going to talk about here uh, near the end. But you're pretty busy, you have a lot of stuff going on for being an empty nester and being a grandmother, but... You have a story to tell, and I really want to dig into that. And I know that uh, we're we're just at the beginning, but I just want to dive in to who you are and your Jesus story, because really your Jesus story is bringing you to where you are today and why you are passionate about what you are passionate about. So let's just start from mm-hmm. that, from the beginning. Who is Robin mm-hmm. and her Jesus story? Who is Robin and her Jesus story? Well, when I was 26 years old, um, I was uh, a military wife, uh, mom of two little boys. I um, had had a baby girl who passed away at 10 days old. I was married right out of high school at 18 years old. Um, so didn't have a lot of time to find out who is Robin, right? Right. <laughs> just kind of. So here I am, 26 years old. I'd just been plopped in the middle of Arkansas at a little army base. Um, and I was just a good, I was a good mom, good wife, um, had all that going on, but I just had a lot of, I was just riddled with guilt, uh, shame, grief, um, not knowing what to do with any of it. And that stemmed from my history with, uh, not only, you know, my sin choices I had made, but of course, choices of other people, things that had happened. Um, my dad, I had a very difficult adolescence. Um, my dad had come back from two tours in Vietnam. He was stationed in Saigon, so he wasn't in combat, but he still experienced a lot of um, trauma there mm-hmm. and just being in that zone. And so he came back a different person, um, alcoholism, taking over PTSD, undiagnosed, of course, at that time, right. um, depression. So that really had an impact on me at a very, uh, you know, you know, those really formative years, adolescent right. years. Mm-hmm. So I also chose to escape in alcohol about the age of 14 or so, dabbled in some drugs, was, was promiscuous, just looking for that connection, right? That mm-hmm. love, that the things I was missing. So all that to say, here I am at 26, guilt, shame, um, and this grief that I didn't know what to do with. I had lost a brother at the age of 14 quite suddenly, we weren't allowed to talk about it. Hmm. Um, that was a cultural thing at the time, but also very strong in my home. 
he had parted on bad terms with my dad. My dad didn't want to hear about it. So just stuff, you know, it's just, it was kind of a culture of just stuffing. Um, now, when you say culture, do you mean yeah. just family in general, like family culture or where you were living at the time or the well, time or the time in history? Yeah, that as well. The time in history. My parents were older. They were in their mid to upper 30s when they had me. Mm. They were children of the Depression. They were uh, the Great Depression. They were, you know, World War II. My dad had served in World War II. I mean, just this suck it up and soldier on yeah. uh, mentality. So wait, your dad served men. in yeah. World War II and in Vietnam? Yes. he oh, served as a cook. He was a cook in World War II for a couple years. And then, yeah, he was a civilian ammunition inspector in Vietnam. I'm sorry and to, actually, when I interrupted you. I just, I'm just blown away by that. I've never heard of anybody serving in both worlds. I mean, that's a lot. Yes, yes. He, so he had gotten out of the army, went back into, into civil service. And so he was actually there when Saigon fell in 1975. Mm-hmm. So that's part of his trauma was just the stress of that, the Viet Cong are marching under the city, you know, toward the city for like over a month. You know what the Viet Cong do, the horrendous evil mm-hmm. that they did to people. And so he, that part of his trauma and part of his was also the, the family he left behind there. His driver um, was a Vietnamese, um, you know, was in the army and helped the Americans, had a big family. They were my dad's family when he was away from his own six children. So he never knew what happened to them. And so that, I'm sure, haunted him. We didn't have internet to look people up, you know, and try to stay connected. So, so yeah, he came back a changed man, and that really impacted our lives there for those years until I, I left um, at 18, got married and left, and mm-hmm. had baby had baby a few weeks later. So, yeah, it's been quite a, a journey to find my identity. And so it started, of course, I didn't realize it, but it started in that little Arkansas church, we were not even thinking of church. Our realtor kept bugging us, come to church, come to church. It's like a big family. We're like, yeah, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's just sit here and we just want to drink on the weekends, right? Right. Um, so anyway, he did not give up and he just embraced us and he finally got us to a new, my husband and I and the boys to a New Year's Eve party. Um, we were new to the area, didn't have friends to have some big party planned and I had just had some minor surgeries, so not up to up to our normal shenanigans, but so he got us to this New Year's Eve party at a boys and girls club, and I'm going to choke up because I'm reliving it, (laughs) but anyway, I walk in, the first thing I see, there's no keg in the corner, and there are people just laughing and running up and down the basketball court, and the loudest one was the pastor, and this was so different from the church culture I'd grown up in. I mean, we didn't grow up in church, but we were, well, we were Catholic. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to run them down. I'm right. just saying it just wasn't something we, it was cultural. So um, anyway, I just saw this freedom and this laughter. These people just, wow, I didn't know people who went to church actively. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it was so stark. It was such a stark difference. And three weeks later, I was I was at the altar, could not hear anything the pastor was really saying other than, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he resurrected to give me new life. Jesus, please lead my life. Because I was was afraid of falling into this pattern because I was drinking a little more in the week. You know, that was one of the things that led me 
to him was like, I see this happening. I don't want to be those people I used to serve at the bar, you know, that are estranged from their families and sick because they're just into this addiction. So, uh, yeah, from that day on, I mean, I stood up, I walked out, I literally, the sky was brighter because my, my head was lifted quite literally. I could, yeah, the sun was shining. It seemed like more <laughs> when I went in, but from that day, I was just determined to grab onto everything God had for me. I was determined to take everything, all the pain um, in my life and turn it for good, that beauty for ashes, you know, symbolism. And so that's what I've been doing, <laughs> just, you know, growing with God and, and learning how to do that, how to turn it all for good. Yeah. What is so. your... What are your husband and your boys thinking? I mean, are they on board with this Jesus thing, or are they thinking mom's crazy? What's happening here? <laughs> Good question. Well, my boys were six and three, so they thought it was pretty cool being at that New Year's Eve party, and they thought it was pretty cool going to Sunday school and church and all that. My husband had had a history with the Salvation Army Church, but didn't even really know about his any kind of salvation experience or anything. We didn't talk about it, but... He was he was on board, kind of, because he knew that if he recommitted his life to Christ, there were things he was going to have to stop doing. <laughs> literally. Yep. Literally. Mm-hmm. So he, we had to, I had to drag him to the party. He said, no, I have a stomachache. Big lie. <laughs> and so once I get there and I call him on the, on the phone that's on the wall, I'm like, dude, this is, this is so much fun. You need to come. Yeah. And so my friend went back and got him. Um, so it took him, he he didn't come to church every Sunday and I learned to just let that be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took him about four to five months. And then he finally said, okay, I'm in because <laughs> he just, he just knew I went into it. Just not like, I had no idea what would be required of me to change. I just knew what I, that this freedom, this, amazing freedom and I just was hungry for more of it you know and um so yeah he did he came on board about five months later mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> so part of your testimony later on is that you really had to struggle with who God really is and I think for yeah. in order for us to truly know ourselves and how you and I are uniquely created, we need to dig into God's character. The more we get to know God, the more we get to know ourselves. But your past caused you to struggle with God's character. So tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So we were created in God's image, so it makes sense that we know the more we know of Him, right? Mm-hmm. The more we do know of ourselves. Oh, that's so, good. So, yeah, so my past caused me to struggle with his character because I had mentioned the church culture of this distant and demanding God. He just seemed so distant, um, waiting to zap me, you mm-hmm. know, if I got out of line. Yep. Um, I'm great. Yeah, I'm grateful that I believed in God coming into my adulthood, but um, it wasn't a personal relationship that was taught to this one-on-one where I can just go to him and just talk to him real without a rote prayer that I had memorized, right? This um, ritual um, over a personal relationship. It was more Mm -hmm. fear-based and about performing, right? Performance and doing this well so you don't get zapped. (laughs) And then then obviously, you know, um, 
our parents, you know, the people in authority, anybody in authority really over us as we're growing up and, and becoming, um, they bring, you know, they bring their own hurts, habits, and hang-ups yeah. into adulthood and into parenting. And my parents um, probably parented me the way they were parented. It was pretty heavy authoritarian style. Um, like um, children would be seen, not heard, kind of suck it up and soldier on and, or because I said so, you know, there was no mm-hmm. discussion. Our opinions aren't really valued. There's no give and take. Um, it becomes kind of like a taskmaster. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Um, appearances were very important. Um, you know, how we appear to other people. Oh, that kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of thing. So, so oh, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, no, I was just going to say, all of that translated into, you know, who I thought God really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about the fact that you grew up in a culture <clears throat> where you said everything had, you, you weren't even really allowed to talk about your feelings and you kind of had to stuff it. So did that kind of say to you, well, God doesn't care about my feelings? Yeah, I think so. I think that became, well, that seems selfish to talk about that. That's weird. Well, you know, anything psychology was considered weird. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're just quacks. You know, that's, yeah. you don't talk about that. It's, um, yeah, I think I never thought of it that way that he didn't care about my feelings. But um, I know that had to put a wall there of intimacy, right? Because mm-hmm. if you can't open up and feel like you can just say anything you want, whether you're mad or sad or whatever, to somebody that's going to put up a wall where you don't feel safe and mm-hmm. that definitely translated with um my relationship with god yeah. so, so then what happened you you come to christ you're experiencing this freedom but at the same time you're seeing god as this authoritarian this demanding god that says he loves me but i mean does he really how did that transition to oh god is loving and he is compassionate and he does love me, and you see the good characteristics in him. How, how did that transpire? Well, I think from day one of, you know, going into that church and hearing the truth being preached from the pulpit, I mean, this was like a salve on my wounds because I had never heard. God's Word is so alive and active. I mean, it just, it's a miracle what it does to these ears. You know, this, I was spiritually dying, you know, this mm-hmm. young woman who, and just hearing those words um, and starting to believe a different thing, a different narrative in my head, right? Changing our thinking about this. Um, um, the fact that I was able to, he just literally lifted my head. I'm like, I just, um, yeah, I think that's where it started, just, hearing all these things. I remember reading as a brand new Christian, um, our pastor was very much into discipleship and, and memorizing scripture. And, and anyway, I remember reading about the fruit of the spirit and, you know, I read this list and I just, and it says against these things, there is no law. And I remember taking a deep breath and going, wow, these are things I can do and not feel guilty, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, these are the characteristics of the Holy spirit. These are characteristics of God. And, I can have this and I don't have to feel guilty and shame about it. So his goodness, I mean, his grace, his mercy were very apparent to me right away. So this is um, like right off the bat, dream. you are having an experience with God and right away God is changing 
your thought patterns on who he is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And 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 the reason. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say at the time I wouldn't have thought of it like that, but but looking back, that's definitely where it started. Mm -hmm. Just hearing the truth about him. Mm -hmm. And and the reason why I ask is because I have a very a, a similar experience as you, where I had. Um, how do I word this correctly to not say things that I shouldn't? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the past that I have, I saw God when I came to Christ as authoritarian, as demanding, as someone who says he loves me but really doesn't and is just kind of waiting for me to sin so that way he can he can punish me somehow. And it really wasn't mm. until a few years into my Christian faith that my mind started to change that I realized the things that I had been believing about God was a lie and it was because of my past. So I'm just, I'm surprised, but I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm not that the day you got saved was the day that, wow, I'm starting to learn that God is a God of joy and love and compassion. Do you meet a lot of people that struggle with coming to Christ because they see him as authoritarian and demanding? Yeah, yeah, I do. And there's a lot of people with this uh, similar history, uh, church history, as I do in my church. I, I do see that. And and I have to say, it, it's really, for me, even, it's only been, <laughs> I wrote this book and everything, it's only been in the last five to ten years, and I've been a believer since 1990, when all of that beautiful stuff started happening in my heart and my mind. But I, I'm still, I think it's a lifelong journey because God's love, it's so huge to even fathom, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I really have been digging into that love part. That's been the hardest part, the unconditional love and, mm. and breaking down walls and barriers. So it's only been in the last two years that, and, and even, I'll be honest, this week, today, you know, whenever I have been struggling more, I'm like, oh, I've written a book about this. I need to read my book again. You know, I need to read my last chapter here. <laughs> talks about God's heart because, because. I still have some walls and some mindsets that are so subtle that um, I need to be able to not just know this, but to believe it and soak it in, mm-hmm. soak it in to remember who he is. And Yeah. Will you yeah. share a little bit of that with us in your book? Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Um, now, the book yeah, is called but... Uncover Your Divine Design. I'll make sure I stick it in the show notes so you can grab that. But, uh, yeah, go. we're going to talk a little bit about that book. But since you brought it up, yeah, go ahead and read that portion. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, Chapter 12, Identity Found, Coming Home to the Father's Heart. We all hear them, those parent-child stories wrapped in warm, fluffy blankets about moms and dads who weren't perfect but loved their children well. The bonds they formed with sons and daughters are foreign, yet so attractive. Though heartwarming, though heartwarming, these stories are hard to hear because they are not what we experienced. They magnify the relationship we missed, but as our hearts melt, they also mend. God redeems sadness as a call to return home and discover there your true belovedness. That's what gets me. God is our, God is our home. He is the perfect parent who embodies the protective heart of a father and the nurturing heart of a mother. Immeasurably more than even the best earthbound parents, he's the father who doesn't leave us and doesn't forget who he is like we humans do. He knows us from our head to our heart to our toes to our soul, forever held in him we live and move and exist, Acts 17, 28. 
God lives outside of time and space, yet is closer to you than your own breath. There's no tighter bond than this. How can we even fathom it? To belong to such a limitless and loving Father is mind-boggling. There are not enough brain cells or ink or paper or words to explain this complete, all-encompassing, and eternal love. Yet that's where we find ourselves at home, in the mind and heart of God, right where we started. That's very poetic. And I think (laughs) that it takes a long time for people to get to that point. Yes. Quite frankly, because like you said, even now you have walls that are up that God is still taking. It's like that onion where God throughout the rest of your life is just peeling away that that bondage. So to get to that place that you just read, how can we if we're struggling with God seeming authoritarian and demanding, what is the best way that we can start learning God's character? What was the process of, for, I mean, I know that it started at the beginning for you, but what mm-hmm. maybe processes in your life that others can use to get to that point? Yeah. So the processes, I had written notes and I couldn't find them. So <laughs> anyway, um, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the best way, the process you, you said to know about his character. So, so I just read this, I wrote and I totally feel and believe every word that I write. So I just read that excerpt from my book. Mm -hmm. So at that time I was feeling it. I was, I was believing it, but I've, I've let some things come in to cloud my thinking. So I'm just saying that to, to let people know, don't be hard on yourself, right? Just open, open up, open up to God. The best way is, like I said, we have to transform the way we think. Romans 12, two is pretty much the basis for my book. Mm. Don't, conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. I think it's the message version says, or NLT, let God transform you. Let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think. So it all begins in our mind. Um, We have to just go after our thought life. And that's what's been getting me. Mm. That's what's been robbing me of abundance. And this John 10, 10, you know, abundant life is, why is these? Why is this coming up now? When I've written this, this book that I believe, like I said, I believe every word I've written in there. So I'm just being, I'm being distracted. Mm. So I'm, I'm having to get back to, as we all do. It all begins in our mind, and so, like with any relationship and how we get to know somebody, you know, we spend time with them. Mm-hmm. We need to read the Bible and believe, not just read it, yeah. know it. Yes. Just let it soak into our bones, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's one verse we read and yeah. hang on to, yeah. let it soak in, mm-hmm. talk to him about it, you know, listen to him and remember that Jesus is the exact representation of God, mm-hmm. of his heart. Yeah. So everything we read about Jesus, that's God, right? Mm-hmm. That's his heart. Mm-hmm. So we watch, and we watch for him in our everyday moments, those little graces and those little God moments that we're like, wow, God, thank you. Mm-hmm. You are so attentive. You do see me. You do hear me. Mm-hmm. I think to recognizing your feelings, like when you feel that, oh, God's not going to love me because I screwed up here, recognizing what you feel, asking yourself why you feel that. And then going back to scripture and saying, okay, well, what is God 
say here. And then I also think, too, and I love that you said about not just knowing it. Like, you have to go deeper. I can read scripture all day long, and I can know it in my head, but if I don't know it in my heart, then it doesn't translate. It's really that asking God to, to write that on your heart. And then having an experience with him, I think, is huge that we don't really talk a lot about in the church. Maybe we just don't want to look like weirdos or whatever. And it's, <laughs> I, I, I'm all about focusing on the word of God, but I think God does want to have an experience with us. We see it all throughout scripture of people having an experience with God. And I know in my personal journey of realizing that God is not authoritarian and he is not a demanding parent, it took an experience with him really uh, feeling his love in order for me to start making that transition. But you had that at the very beginning of your testimony. So as you've been going through this throughout your life, recognizing where the thoughts of an authoritarian demanding parent of uh, God being a authoritarian demanding parent, recognizing where that comes from, what then led you to writing the book? What led me to writing the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. I was, uh, my youngest daughter just was going to be graduating high school. I'm, you know, almost 50 years old at that time, um, 10 years ago or so. And I was like, okay, what's next? I was excited. I'd been a mom since I was 18, military wife, doing all everything, right? All the good things. And um, I wanted to do something just for me. Mm-hmm. So I was so excited, yeah. but I was also so confused. And it became very apparent that there was fear. I was just stuck in this cycle of, but what do I do? I don't know. What if it's the wrong thing? What if I spend the money and waste time, you know, on that? And what if I blah, 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 all this stuff, you know? And um, so I talked to a friend who's also a clinical psychologist, and so, <laughs> which is a bonus. And so she just realized pretty quick that I was just caught up in, a, in, a, in my pain, my pain, my shame my grief from my history, even though I've been a believer about 25 years, strong believer growing and all of that. But this stuff still had such a grip on me, on my mind. And I had a lot of mindsets that just blocked me from moving forward. Mm -hmm. Victim mindset, chameleon mindset, this performance, perfection, these kind of things. And so that's what got me going on it. I, I walked out and of her office at the excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book about this. You know, Mm -hmm. really naive. And it's going to be easy, and God, I'm just going to duke it out. We're going to take these mindsets I just discovered in me, and we're going to, he's going to free me. Going to find some scriptures, slap it on it, and we're good, right? Well, no, it was it was a very long journey. Writing my yes. book took about eight years. Well, I had to shelve it many times for a lot of different reasons, but it was very difficult because he took me deep. I had to go back. I had to relive. I had to forgive people. I did not have already forgiven at the beginning of my Christian journey, I did. I forgave right away. But there was just a deeper level he needed to take me to and then to free me. So I had to forgive myself. Mm. I had to understand. I had to go back into those years to understand where my parents were at their age, about the age I was when I was writing my book, and what they were going through. I had to empathize. I had to let God grow that empathy in me for my parents. Because they were good people. They were very good people. They were just caught up in their own hurts and pain. And they're just Um, doing what they know. 
Exactly. That's all they knew. And I think sometimes we forget that as children, we just (laughs) resent our parents and don't have that grace. I love that you had that grace and you were able to forgive. Well, it's by God's by by God's grace because there were days I'm writing my book that I would just stomp my feet and scream and have to leave because it was not easy. And I mean, I got counseling during this time from mm-hmm. an art therapist as well for about six months because it was kind of taking me down. You know, I needed to I needed to get clarity in somebody else's you know voice right. outside of my own mm-hmm. to help me get clarity around these things that had happened in my adolescence. So, but that also just healed and freed me to, it's also what's helped me to see God's heart toward me, mm-hmm. not like our earthly parents, right? And mm-hmm. our pastors or anybody in authority. Mm-hmm. There's so. a saying among authors, cause I've written a book myself and there's a saying that when you're writing a book, you think you're writing a book, but really it's writing you. Oh my goodness. Because it's so- bringing up all of that stuff. That now you have to be vulnerable with and put on paper. Am I right? Oh, absolutely right. And, you know, I started so cathartic and I started my book and then I had to go back about midway. I got stuck about midway for a lot of different reasons. But anyway, I had to go back and and like soften it because I am looking back at these first chapters and going, wow, there's a lot of anger here. Mm. There's a lot of. And it's like, who, girl, you, mm, we do not want to shed your parents in this light. Yes. You know, there are no villains in my story. Yes. That's what I say in my book. So because at, at one time I thought there was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as God brought me through the journey of working through these things and letting him transform my mind and my heart, I literally went back and had to add some other things into it, some, some good things, you know, some happy things from my childhood. Yeah, because this would, nobody would have wanted to read this book. It was like, it was kind of all about me at the beginning. Well, and it sounded yeah. bitter. I mean, and, and that's what's crazy is a, a lot of people nowadays will put content out there that is bitter because bitterness draws people in and you're feeding other people's bitterness. But when you're a writer, Ooh. that's the last thing you want to do is Ooh. make people more bitter. You want to make them better. And that's exactly right. what you're doing. You're taking that bitterness right. out and that resentment out and you're saying no the way I see God is better now. And I want to help you make you better. So good for you on that. The book is called (laughs) uncover your divine design by Robin Melvin. And I'll make sure again, that I put that in the show notes so people can grab that book as well as check out your website. But if someone, before we go, if someone today is out there and they say, I am struggling with who God is, with his characteristics, because of my past, I don't see God as that loving, compassionate creator who wants to shower his unconditional love on me. What would you say to that person? I would say, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. I feel it. No, I've been there and and struggling right now a little bit, like I said. Um, I just want you to know that in Ephesians, if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, read that and it talks about how God thought of us before he even laid the earth's foundation Mm. and that's when he adopted us into his family talks about the pleasure he took in planning that and planning us he designs on us but it is difficult again we we just have to immerse ourselves in what is true about him and let it change our minds and change our hearts like I said see him in other people see see him in Jesus 
go to the Psalms and find that he's, he really is your safe place. He can be your calm in the chaos. Mm-hmm. So he, and he sees us for who he created us to be, not, not anything we're doing, not our past and not our, our current struggle. I mean, he just sees the potential in us and that's what he wants to call out in us. He, he is for us. He's not against us. He's moving and working with us. He's so patient and attentive. And yes, he's just. And the discipline he gives is to is teaching us. It's not to be harsh, but to teach us to grow us into this person that he created. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers the questions. I hope, because I know that can sound maybe dry or fall mm-hmm. kind of with a big thud on someone who might be struggling, but. Just just seek him with your whole heart. Just talk to him and give him your anger. If you're yeah. angry and you believe he's a certain way, tell him. Mm-hmm. Just just let you bounce all that off of him because he can take it. Yes. And um, just just be safe in that and and just let him you know sit in his presence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, that's great. Robin, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for uh, being vulnerable. I know sometimes it's hard to go back and relive some of the details. And we're going to put that book, Uncover Your Divine Design, in the show notes so you can grab your copy if you are struggling today with how how you see God or how you think God sees you. This is the book that you're going to want to get. And of course, Dig into God's word, memorize it, be praying that God gives you that experience to break down those walls. So, Robin, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Rachel. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unique on Purpose podcast. I hope this episode encouraged you that God is not a God who is looking for you to mess up but is wanting a relationship with you. Make sure you connect and follow Robin with the links in the show notes and also check out her book, Uncover Your Divine Design. Unique on Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next time.